You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, let's how's it going? Hey guys, what's the story? We've got a we got a new world, a new set is uh, among us. Well, it's not a new world; it's the same world as before. But we've now got to play with the cards from Taros Beyond Death. Yes, we are back from the underworld. Oh, and oh boy, was I hopelessly devoted to a bunch of colors over the weekend. <laughs> oh dear, oh boy, hopelessly, devo- hopelessly devoted to a whole lot of pints. Am I right? Wait, Way of the boys. <laughs> um, yeah. So Taros Beyond Death. We're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about the limited format pre-release. Uh, we're going to be talking about Constructed. Karen's been playing a lot of Pioneer. I love Pioneer. It's actually so much fun. I think the format, like since the last uh, set of bands, and now especially with the new cards, like it just it feels like just really open and kind of like the Wild West again. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun playing it. Sweet. We also had an AMA on Reddit. Ask me anything on Reddit from uh, the Magic Esports team today, with uh, along with an article. So we'll talk about that a little bit and uh, before we get kicked off here i will mention inkedgaming.com so inked gaming they supply custom playmats you can get a custom playmat with some sweet greek catablepis art that is public domain on it you can just you know upload your image you'll be able to get that playmat printed out and sent to you and you'll get a 10 percent discount if you follow the link inkedgaming.com forward slash skullcrack or just click on the link in the show notes so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get catablepes all over my shit. All all stitch stitch edging and catablepes. What it's all about. You know that catablepes needs stitch edging. Oh, otherwise it would fall right off. Yeah, exactly. So if you want your uh, your stitched edging catablepes playmat, you gotta go head over to inkgaming.com, get ten percent off your order with the referral link that you can find in our show notes. All right, will we kick off with the esports stuff? Yep. Yeah. Sounds good. Yep. Yeah. Get out of the way. Things have changed. Yeah. So, uh, I'll just I'll just run through some of the actual questions and responses in this thread. We won't do them all, but some of the highlights. Um, the one that's at the top here, I think, is really good because it just is. Uh, it's really indicative of the frustration that people are feeling with organized play at the moment. So. Uh, user Zawar uh, said there's a lot of different three-letter acronym tournaments in paper to keep track of. Can we get a quick rundown of them and their differences? It's hard to tell what a certain tournament is, what or if it qualifies you for anything, and what to expect to receive when you sign up. Especially when it seems like some stores require you to play in a qualifier to qualify, and you don't even know what happens when you win both, so it makes it hard to decide on if an event is worth travelling to or not. Um, I think this is a, a question that we all share. Yeah, I'm still not really clear what the differences are between the WPN qualifiers and the and the player tour qualifiers they still seem to be the same thing to me except for the WPN qualifiers the stores have more freedom on how they want to run them but yeah I'm I'm with uh this reddit user here I I would I like even as a very enfranchised player of the system and stuff like that I still don't really know what's going on yeah so the response from the magic esports team this is Athena speaking um she said, this is something I'm working on as eSports community manager. I have received a lot of feedback asking for simple explanations of our tabletop and arena programs. In the next few weeks, I hope to create short videos and accompanying text articles, which walk you through the system from beginner to Magic Pro League. 
to be honest, like this is obviously good. Anything that's like short, easily digestible shows you how the system works would be great. But some kind of thing on like the magic.gg homepage, like a big clickable button that says, I don't know what it should say, but you know, someone who is <laughs> someone who is a professional in user experience should do this. But you know, a big clickable button that says, show me how to qualify for the player's tour or whatever it is. And then you'll be taken to an interactive page where you can click on each tournament and expand it for a description of what it is, how you qualify for it, and what it qualifies you for. I feel like at the moment it would just be an image of, you know, Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's like standing in front of like the, all the paper he's put up against the wall. <laughs> Pepe! There's no Pepe! <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what PTQ stands for. Pepe Tour oh. Qualifier. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, something nice and easy would be great because I think even like I'm playing in one on Sunday, and uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what what it, what it's for. Uh, what, 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 well, I I know what it's for. Well, I don't even know what it's for. It's for a PTQ. I don't, I don't know which one. Which no, sorry, it is PTQ. It's for a pro tour, players tour. Uh, I don't know where it is. Somewhere in the world. It'll be the next European one after Brussels, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. But don't forget that you can you can actually go to any of them. Sorry, what? If if you qualify for a players tour, you're allowed to go to the one in America or Asia if you want. Oh, okay. But they encourage you to go to the whatever region you're from. They encourage you to to do to make to play that makes the most sense. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll see. We'll see where the where the we'll see where the the, the Asian one is. Yeah. Maybe I'll... In some in some, I, I mean, like this can't be. Yeah, th- this is extremely unlikely. But like in some cases, it could be better to go to the players tour like the smaller players tour, which will basically always be the Asian one, uh, because it should be easier technically to qualify to the uh, to the players tour finals. But I mean, the associated cost, like now that Wizards doesn't pay for your for your airfare, is going to be really high to get to Asia, unless you have to be on holiday there anyway. Uh, we can, I can make it work on a, on a, on a weekend trip trip to Tonga. <laughs> okay. Um... Yeah, so it'll be nice to, to see some short videos or text articles. Uh, any Anything really would be good. Savage. All right. Well, this uh, question from uh, Reddit user 1S4C. Why is stability so underappreciated by people that are in charge of competitive play? I've given up on everything related to competitive magic because I can't keep up with all the changes. And it feels like investing time and effort in something so unstable is just not worth it. With every change, I feel like I should wait a little until the system gets stable, but then there is another change and another change. So, also something that people have felt. Um, a good question, I think. Yeah, and the response here isn't great, I don't think. So this is from Ben, and he says, Hey, we hear you. 2019 was a year of upheaval. We knew change a system that's been in place for the better part of de- decades, etc., etc., etc. Then he says, we do appreciate stability. Our mantra in 2020 is to aim for stabilizing our changes so people can get used to the new system. So 2019 was a year of upheaval, but 2020 is a year of stabilizing the changes, so there's still more upheaval is kind of what I read from that. And then at the end, he says, 2019 was a year of change, but in 2020, our aim is to keep things stable and let people play. And and also 2020 is a year of at most tweaks, but like tweaks are still changes. I st- I don't really feel like this is a great answer. Do you guys? Um, no, but at the same time, kind of what can he say? Is he just gonna? He can't come out and say, "Hey, we uh we we messed that one up." 
yeah, I guess this is basically the closest you're you're going to get to that. But I feel like I don't know. I like I I do feel like more like it's nice that like you know WPN qualifiers, PT qualifiers, and stuff are back, and you, and you know you can go to them and they'll qualify you for something now, and like you know you can go to GPs and there'll be some you know the fractional invites and there's some kind of you know it's like you do kind of more understand your 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 path at this point but it's still not fully clear and it's still kind of fully hard to buy into the system i suppose but they're kind of they're kind of stating that in the only way they can i guess yeah i guess you know, we, we had a lot of people in terms of everything was changed last year and maybe things will continue to change but like maybe we'll, we'll see like you know numbers of points uh, you know uh, it would change slightly or or uh, kind of the, the qualifying path changed slightly, but not a not a huge no people of the system, I guess, as, as he's saying. I think that's why he's alluding to uh, with his answer. But we don't know how. Yeah. That may or may not. Yeah, like the I would be very surprised if this system that we have now isn't here to stay, uh, barring like what he said tweaks. Um, I think people are just still feeling like aftershock from the fact that the whole system changed dramatically and then changed dramatically again. And then probably one more time. Um, yeah. So it just has felt like there was no stability, but I guess that there there should be going forward. I guess what he's saying here is there are no current plans to dramatically shake up the system in the future. But we're leaving ourselves open in case we need to, because we might need to. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you ask them at any point, are there plans to dramatically shake up, shake up the system? I'm sure their answer would have been no. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so in the next question... It's pretty in a similar vein. Uh, user Vorland said a lot of players have been disappointed with the lack of information. The old system died out with seemingly no system to replace it. What are some of the behind the scenes reasons that it's been such a challenge to solidify the new system? And Ben said, uh, on the lack of information, for much of 2019, we didn't have the information. What? Yeah, so the, so he's admitted that they, they made it up as went long, that they didn't know what was happening like in the short term. I guess, and the next sentence I don't understand either. We were moving at light speed for a year, and in order to get the programs up and running, we focused on reaching our end state before communicating out what we were working on. God, it sounds like a, a, an awful way to, to work. It sounds like they were just you know, forced to drop everything to do and, and work on this uh, to a very high deadline. I, I think uh, what... Yeah, I think what he's talking about there is like the um the the MPL and how people felt like they didn't know, you know, what they just they just announced who was in it and people didn't know what they would have been trying to qualify for, so they didn't go to certain events and stuff like that. Like, is that is that what he's talking about there? Um, yeah, I, I, probably that, but I I think just everything. Um, the next sentence does make sense to me. It says we figured it was best to deliver something whole or close to it than to push it out in pieces, which I know we've all felt that. When we're sitting on the... T- no. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Um, Please don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can respect that. Um, it is good to have things squared away before you announce them. Otherwise, people are like, hey, what? And I think that that's the model that they operated on towards the end. And they obviously just weren't operating on that model of let's wait until we've made all these... Until we've locked all these changes in. Um, and figured the whole thing out or as much of the whole thing as we can um, before we announce it. But it's just been blatantly clear that whoever they've had in charge of making these things, like these decisions, just hasn't taken the time to fully understand them, I think. Because it's like every single thing that they've announced has had like a player, you know, it's kind of like when they make magic sets as well. 
It's like when you make a magic set and you just you have all these cards and you look at the decks that the the future future league has and they're like they missed a whole like two decks that are integral to the format or they were way off on a build of a thing and that's fine but then it also seemed to be that way with this where they would announce something and then like in a twitter comment someone would be like oh hey but what about this massive thing that is a huge issue with this system that you haven't addressed and they'd be like oh uh oh we didn't think about that part yeah, it feels like a year of, of competitive magic basically just kind of disappeared. It's kind of like there was a dark age for 2019 of, of competition. Yeah, and do you know what that, fe- do you know what that in my mind, what that makes me think of is, uh, I'm going to sound, going to bring loads of uh, politics and shit into it now. It's like, uh, it's like the recession in 2008 or whatever. So there's like a generation of young people, that, that, that's us, uh, who like graduated uh into the working world or whatever at that time and uh basically that generation is like a lost generation um and i think that's going to be the same way in magic i think there's gonna there's like a there's like a gap of competitive interested players from the last two years yep i would agree with that and like like i didn't go to a gp last year like i just completely wasn't bothered at all i didn't really well i well i was going to go to one and then i lost my passport so i guess i would have but apart from that I, I wasn't really bothered and that was at the end of the year and uh yeah like apart apart from that like I've, I've already booked a gp we're going to a gp you know now in a couple of weeks i want to go to i probably hit well hit like four gps this year or something like certainly my faith is kind of back in the system and i think i think that's going to be true across the board for people but yeah last year just felt like a total dearth of uh of wanting to play for me yeah which is which is real shame because we're, we're going we're going through this dark phase but that's also co- coinciding with a huge influx of new players going in from magic arena so it's uh it's like a lot of, a lot of new players are kind of transitioning over from uh you know from, from magic arena to paper magic but then they're not being a strong coherent uh you know competitive scene for them to join whereas like even like maybe two years ago there was there was you know Got a, a large contingent, at least in Ireland, there was a large contingent of, of players going to go in from town to town for the PTQs or the PPTQs. Uh, whereas now that's really just uh, kind of taking a bit of a dive. And hopefully, it'll build back up. Maybe we'll build back up, back up over the course of this year. But I think that kind of that short period of time really had a blow to uh, the community. Yeah, and that is really the most important thing. It's like most of us aren't going to qualify, apart from you, Al, for the for the players tour. You know, most of us are just going to be playing local tournaments and and traveling around and supporting our local shops and stuff like that. So it is it's pretty criminal to uh to let that fall the bottom fall out out of that as badly as they did. I think I did like I don't know shops wise how they feel about it or how much how much less revenue they got over over the year and you know because of these decisions but certainly just in terms of it, it feels like there was a, there was a massive loss to to the community there i agree with that yeah i, I think in, in terms of the, the latest PTQs, there's like a definitely an overestimation of the number of players that would attend uh, at least those eyes at because uh you know you kind of you kind of assume will be almost some part of like ptqs you kind of you see you see ptq you're like all right ptq is a, le- a level higher than the ptq obviously that this is going to be you know whatever five times larger than the PPTQ, but uh or at least the ones i was at uh, wasn't as was close to how things were at PPTQs uh, two years ago. Yeah, I think it's going to take time to build that back up. Probably, probably quite a long time because it's like it takes a while to build things build things up. And like once once you drop that and people lose faith in it, I think it takes even longer to uh, to restore their their trust. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right, a couple of short questions here. Uh, user JP Ball Five. Even if the partial 2020 season does not have a World Championship. Do you plan on inviting players to our final winners to the next Worlds? 
Um, and then Scott Larrabee answered this question. He said, the 2020 to 2021 World Championship invitation policy is under construction and this option is part of the discussion. So the World Championship for like, quote unquote, 2019, um, 2018 to 2019 season is happening in a few months. Uh, wait, is it? How soon is it? It's February. Is it February? I think it might be next month. Yes, it is. It is next month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, at the moment, we're in the partial season, quote unquote, partial season until the real season starts in July, I believe, June or July. Um, so going forward, all the world championships are going to take place in July, at the end of July, I believe. Um, so there are going to be players to our finals winners in this partial season who potentially don't get invited to the world championship, which would be terrible. Um, so including them seems like a good idea. Yeah, I like. I think I do. I actually do trust them on this one that they they won't completely screw those players for for some reason. I don't know why. I feel like just just them saying now that it's on the radar does does give me a bit of faith in that one. Yeah, yeah. That well, t- this AMA seems like a good decision on their part because potential problems with the system can be pointed out by in the comments in advance <laughs> instead of just after yeah. the announcement is made. <laughs> Uh, Von Sparren asks, will there be video coverage of all players tours? This is something that I was wondering about as well. Uh, Ben says, yes, there will be video coverage of all players tours and players tour finals. We're going to experiment with players tour Asia Pacific and time shift the English language coverage. So it's live at a better time for European and American audiences. Wait, so then it's it's, okay. That's, uh, that's weird. So yeah, are they, uh, are they, is there going to be live? A live broadcast in, you know, Japanese or whatever, and then English coverage later, or are they just not going to show it live? You know, what about uh, Australian players? They just got screwed over completely by this. I mean, you can still watch the coverage. It'll just be in Japanese or or whatever. Yeah, that's probably what I would do to be honest. But I'm, I mean, I, we're we're more enfranchised and kind of hardcore than a lot of people. Like most, like I used to do that for Street Fighter and stuff like that. I would I would just watch the Japanese streams in in Japanese, and it didn't bother me. But I think a lot of more casual players wouldn't do that. To be fair, yeah, I think I think one thing that they are missing as part of the lineup of coverage is like highlights. They should do highlights. Well, Canister's hair is just an entirely different color. It's not even highlights. Oh God. <laughs> Um, I guess, I guess, yeah, probably highlights are hard to do because I guess you know a lot of being important plays you probably need a lot of context in a match, but uh, I guess it's something that's worth trying. Well, that's why you hire a professional who can write a script that hypes you up for the match. There we go. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, anyway, it's good to know that they're planning coverage and that something will be done, and hopefully, it's good. Yeah. Uh, well, this JP Ball Five has asked a lot of questions on the same. I think. Who? Or it's going to be a plant. Uh, JP Ball Five, one of the names you're right now. Oh. Asked like seven questions. Oh yes, yeah. They they also asked. There are four to six empty spots in the Rivals League. When can we expect an announcement on who's invited? Athena said, "Very very soon, like this week, maybe even today." Maybe. Winky face. Yeah, but the winky face is outside the parentheses, so I don't know what that means. Yeah, that is a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> Get it together, esports communication manager. <laughs> Unreadable. Okay. User uh, MS War Eleven. Oh well, I, I mean, uh, maybe the 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 spots for arrivals will be announced while we're doing this podcast. I think maybe not. Maybe they will. But uh, can't wait to see the outrage when there's someone in it who is seen as not deserving. Yeah, we're just anyone who's not me is undeserving. Exactly. That's not true. I, I haven't studied for this uh, BGP on Sunday at all. 
I'm not deserving. Do you say studied? Yes. Yeah. Studied cards. Yeah, I suppose. Reading. Um, <laughs> in game. <laughs> Is that what people say? No. No, but it just sounds like you're like, I'm not planning to read the cards of the new set before this. <laughs> it's an unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah. I'll just go with whatever vague interpretation I have of them from reading people's comments in spoiler season. Exactly. So you just put Walking Ballista and uh, and uh, Heliod on the board and you're like, I win? This is, a, this is an infinite combo. It's sealed, so I can't do that. You never know. <laughs> we'll get a god pack. If there's a illegally packaged Walking Ballista, it's part of your seal pool. Not true. I don't know. Are going to judge on this? No, I think you would probably have to. I think, I think the judge would say it's not, but it would be up to the head judge of the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you, you, know, you know the thing, it's how you open a pack and the other person looks at all the cards. you got to look through them briefly. Make sure the pack's like uh, in a in a in a good state, or it's you know, an actual pack with one rare or whatever. Maybe that's a catch stuff like that. Out. Yeah, what, of it. all I can say is uh, I hope that you open all the bombs. Um, okay. yeah. So user MS War Eleven said, "I am an almost exclusively limited player." Speaking of sealed, uh, and in this upcoming PTQ cycle, there is only one limited PTQ within five hours from me. Can we get better incentives for LGSs to offer limited PTQs despite being more expensive to host? Or introduction of limited plus constructed events? Now, this is quite a short answer, but, and, and Scott answered this, I think this answer is extremely disingenuous because it's very clear from the context of the question that this player understands that wizards don't just tell stores to run limited PTQs. They let the stores choose. And this player knows that the way to make stores run limited PTQs is to give them incentives to do it, not to just tell them to do it. So Scott says, other than certain restrictions we place on WPN qualifiers, such as only standard and limited during a time period, the formats of WPN qualifiers are chosen by the stores that run them. We want stores to have the flexibility to provide formats for qualifiers that they believe will lead to higher attendances. So this was a non-answer for me. Yeah, and great. He doesn't answer the question that's asked. So Yeah. Alright, on to the next one. Do, 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 do. Okay, this one is pretty interesting and uh, goes to goes towards the other announcement from today, which I'll link in the show notes. It's about the, the player points that were previously announced for players uh, players tour series. And um, so this question is: What's the reasoning to having the top eight prize support look like a double elimination bracket, a departure from the traditional prize model used in old PT, Paper MC, and Grand Prix, where third and fourth, then fifth to through eighth, got the same prize money? Um, so basically you get different prize money now for like, if you're a third or fourth in the top eight, you get different prize money, which technically shouldn't matter. Um, because that's technically the same placing in the, in the, uh, in the tournament and previous iterations, uh, as this user says, sorry, I didn't mention this user's name. It is the agent of blight who is an L2 judge. Uh, yeah. So in previous iterations, you would get the same money for third or fourth. Uh, but now in this new system you do not and it's not based on a playoff in top eight it's based on swiss placing um so the answer from ben here was we are intentionally using different structures for players points and cash prizes for the players tour the structure for cash prizes is intended to recognize players who did well over that specific tournament while players points will reward consistency throughout the year it is a departure from previous structures and we want to understand if it impacts behavior at the end of the swiss as with all the changes this year, we are actively monitoring their impact and are willing to make changes if we are not satisfied with the results. Um, so basically, yeah, the points that you get 
for like fifth through eight are going to be the same, but the cash prizes will be different. Um, I recall them doing something similar to this. I think it was around the time of Shadows over Innistrad. They gave different pro points for different placings in the top eight, and it just it what they're trying to do is disincentivize uh, intentional draws and scooping to other players or whatever in the final rounds, mostly intentional draws. And I just feel like it didn't ever work because people were the the value of locking up a top eight spot is much greater uh, in terms of prestige for your career. If you want to be a writer, if you want to be a pro magic player, and even just in prize money than the difference between fourth and fifth or whatever. Yeah. And in the case of like, so like, let's say you're in the last round and you're locked for top eight and then you get to like, you can scoop a friend into top eight, right? Like you can actually take a loss rather than ID in the last round or something like that, or the second last round. Like if they're a friend or they're on your team, you're just going to do that anyway and split the money with them. Yeah, exactly. So like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even help in yeah. that scenario. Yeah, that will change. Yeah, yeah. I think, and then I think to your point, Wolf, they changing the, but having like a you know, different pro points for, for a top eight. Like didn't they have that other structure where they kind of gave like whatever it was, yeah, whatever first goes straight to the final. And it's, it's like a strange structure where Oh, uh, you play more matches in the top eight if you if you top the Swiss. Yeah, you're right. Was... They did some kind of a basically if you were in the lower lower seeds in the top eight had to win four rounds. Wasn't that what it was or something like that to win? Yeah, something like that. Well, they do that for the arena tournaments, right? The the mythic whatever I can't remember the names of any of the tournaments, but yeah, it, like they have basically a double elimination bracket, right? For for the top eight. So if you're in the lower bracket, you have to pay more, play more matches. Yeah. Yeah, they are doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose like if, if that's what you had, I think it's for approach or anybody in uh, something like that. And like if that didn't incentivize, if that didn't decentivize IDs, like free wins later on in the tournament, uh, if that didn't decentivize IDs, then I don't know how this will. Yeah, I just don't think it'll work, and it's it it's it just sucks. I don't know. I don't I don't understand the reasoning for this. I mean, it creates a massive feel bad when you are the eighth player in the turn. Like you finish like or. Uh, Let's say you finish seventh in the Swiss, and somebody else finishes sixth in the Swiss, and both of you get knocked out in the uh, in the quarterfinals. You're like, why does that person have two thousand dollars more than me? They didn't do two thousand dollars better. Yeah, yeah. I think actually one thing to note here is Frank Karsten, Hall of Famer and famed statistician and magic maths guy, actually replied to this question as well. He said, I hope this question receives an answer. In my opinion, as a competitor, the payout is unappealingly top-heavy and the huge differences between, say, 5th and 8th or between ninth and 17th appear inelegant. I'm curious what the reasoning is. So when you have Frank Karsten basically weighing in and saying that he doesn't think it makes sense uh, when, it, when it comes to, like, numbers, uh, you should probably pay attention. Yeah, so that's a big deal. Um, <laughs> the idea of Frank Karsten leaving a comment on this AMA when he literally works on coverage for Wizards lots of times it just kind of kind of goes to show you how they're not consulting with people enough and I don't know he's so close to them how could he not just make this make this uh, comment directly to them yeah that's a bit mad (laughs) I just noticed that comment there I had to read it out pretty mad (laughs) pretty great seeing that well fair play to Frank yeah, I mean, he's a, he's in the Hall of Fame, you know, he can say what he wants. Very true, very true. All right, um, there's a lot of more stuff here. Uh, I'll just do one more. Uh, this one is pertinent to Arena. Let me just find it here. Okay, so this one is from Great Red Shift UK. Uh, it says, hi all, my main question, which has bugged me so much with your MTG Arena esports program, is the entry level in playing at a true competitive level. 
you have your qualifiers only within the mythic ranks so no external qualifiers or events through third-party providers why is this as someone or why is this as someone who can't dedicate all their time to grinding arena why do you not have other ways of qualifying i've spoken to members of other digital tcgs and this seems to be the only title that does this would love to hear your reasoning as i'd love to see the mtg arena succeed but this current format it's grind to win not compete at events tournaments um so athena um so yeah, a lot, a lot of people have criticized the the grind required to stay at Mythic, top 1200 Mythic, in order to qualify for the thing every single month. And I mean, I'm bu- I'm burnt out on it. I just did it three times, and that was it. I think I'm I think I'm done. I'm strongly considering not playing Arena. Um, and anyway, Athena says we recognize that more choices equals more fun. We are currently working to establish new ways to play competitive Magic on Arena that do not require maintaining Mythic rank. A great example of this is the new DreamHack Arena Opens. These amazing events have a 100k prize pool and the winner receives an invitation to the next Mythic Invitational. You can find out more about the first event, DreamHack Anaheim, here. So that's good that there are going to be DreamHack Opens. Uh, Anaheim, not great. It, more American things. Um, but, you know, lots of DreamHacks in Europe as well. So maybe in the future we'll get one. Hopefully, yeah. Get it at the... Yeah, this is the type of stuff I really want to see. As I said, I think we talked about it before, like uh, just tournaments that we can play on the weekends, like like online tournaments with stakes that actually mean something. I, I would love that. Yeah, well, th- this one here, the DreamHack Anaheim, you have to actually go to the convention to play in it. So it's not exactly what we're looking for. But if they can do other things in that vein where you can play from just like your house, um, like some community events that have been organized um and obviously organized through third third party like tournament applications. Uh, if those things were more formalized and more regular, they would be really awesome to play in. Yeah, like it's like a tournament or yeah, a tournament mode built into Arena. Is that something that's has that happened yet, or is that in the, in the pipeline? Mm. Is that something that people are talking about at some point? They did a, an update for the like state of the state of the game recently, and uh, I don't remember that being in the pipeline at all. They do have like tournament challenge. Like if you want to directly challenge someone, it, it's it has a preset tournament mode. Um, oh yeah, it's made that better. Yeah, it is better than it was, but it's not like a you know a sign up uh, kind of organized just itself kind of thing. Yeah, no, there is no currently no way for some outside third party to create a tournament in Arena without using like a separate organization system or app. Um, which I think like I don't think Hearthstone has that either. That's something that they, this industry should probably figure it out because they're missing a trick there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Even even if it was just like an officially licensed third party website by Wizards, that would even be better. Yeah, I mean, it does like a, a place that you always know you're going to go to, an, inter- an interface you always get used to. Because I guess like that Red Bull one was the Red Bull tournament was very good. Um, well, I mean, I suppose <laughs> I guess it's possible that we'll just be getting used to all sorts of different interfaces if all these different third parties are are, are running these, and if these are something that we want to do all the time. Uh, kind of a nice one-stop shop would be ideal. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there for the uh, the tabletop AMA, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, and I'll also link this um, this article about players' points in the show notes as well. And uh, move on from there. We'll talk about uh, our experiences at the pre-release for Theros Beyond Death, and uh, just our general thoughts on the the limited format so far. Uh, we are not the limited experts, so. You'll have to listen to another podcast for for that, but you know we have our opinions. I, I need to become a limited expert by Sunday. Yeah. So um, all right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I spoke for myself when I said that. You you could be a limited expert. I don't know. We could because when when we were um, building our pools, 
building our decks, uh, someone said, oh, how many, how many, um, how many creatures should I have? And then the person said, I can't remember who, you remember who these were? I, I think, I can't remember who it was, but someone said, oh, you know, kind of, that really depends on the deck. And I was like, no, on the insert you get in the previous pack, it tells exactly how many creatures and exactly how many spells. So I was rolling, yeah, I was rolling and I was asking you, uh, how many creatures, how many spells should you have? Yes. And you were like, both gave the answer of, oh, well, you know, it's kind of, a, that's, 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 how long is a piece of string? Yeah. That's what you said, like, and I was like, no, this piece of paper that came in my pack says exactly how many creatures I should play. 12 to 13, something like that. Uh, or 17 to 18, I think it was. It was 100% 17 to 18. Yeah, yeah, so it was 13. Um, but uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a fun previous to be in. Uh, great to talk. It was, I think it was, it was the first previous I've been in with, for previous I've been in with the new uh, structure in the shop. So just have a whole lot of players all kind of, you know, really, you know, all kind of close together, all open up backs, talk about stuff. It was, uh, it was a nice fun time to, and actually, just before we, we jump into the whole discussion of the set, um, as a kind of a follow-on from last week, uh, Ollie, we mentioned the fundraiser for for a local local judge in Ireland, uh, Ollie, um, who was having a bit of trouble going through some uh, mental health difficulties and things like that. And his GoFundMe was a massive success, raised a lot of money, a lot of people very generous. He has some good friends out there, which is always lovely to see, like, just the idea that people would be like, yes, I like this person. Uh, I want to help in any way that I can. It would probably, obviously, I mean, obviously the money means a lot to him. He needed it. But uh, just seeing that, I hope, I hope uh, helped in some way. But Ollie was there at, at all the pre-releases this, this weekend. And um, he wanted to kind of give something back to the community a little bit. So he held raffles at each pre-release for uh, playmats. He had, he had a collection of playmats there. So they were given out to um to to some of the players at the pre-releases over the weekend. So that was great. So uh, that's a heartwarming story all around. Absolutely, yeah. And he went on to win our pre-release, and he, he popped us this. That is true. Also, very, also very handy. Yeah, it's very good at magic. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was, it was very very kind of see it. See the community come together like that, and uh, and um, you see see it well all weekend. Yeah. So shout outs to Ali, and um, yeah, shout outs to my pre-release deck. It was great. Loved it. So what did yours end up looking like? It was a green-black deck with not like a lot of self-mill or escape stuff, but I had a few key escape cards, like I had Voracious Typhon. Um, and I also had four rares in the deck, so that was pretty nice. I had Eat to Extinction. Uh, no, maybe there was only three rares. Oh, no, it was four. Eat to Extinction, Arasta of the Endless Web, Nylea's Intervention, and Nessian Boar. So I, put, I played the boar. I was like, is this good? I don't know. I felt like it was bad, but then I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to attack, I can just block. So that's what I did, I just blocked with it all day long, and uh, killed all their creatures, and then when they had no creatures, I was able to attack with the boar and win real fast. Um, one thing that I will say is, if your opponent is playing white, be very careful attacking with your boar, because they can play Omen of the Sun, and then block with two one ones and draw two cards. Ooh, that's pretty good, I never thought of that. Yeah. That's pretty sick, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, I saw with the boar, yeah, sorry, I, I also won in spectacular fashion when I played a ridiculously long grindy game against an opponent who was playing, I think it was Sultai Colors, and, uh, no, sorry, it was Abzan Colors, and they had so many good creatures, but I just had a lot of really good removal in my deck, I had, like, Final Death and Myers Grasp and all those things, Return to Nature, um, that is Intervention, and, yeah, um, my opponent had a bit of escape stuff going on, so they I think they had milled themselves a couple of times, and uh, one point, it was just a, a big board standoff for ages, and I had the boar on my side, 
And uh, I just asked my opponent at the end of their turn, I was like, how many cards do you have in your library? And they said five. I just counted their creatures on board. They had six. So I attacked with my boar. They had to block with all six. And then they lost due to decking. And that was wonderful. My God. Yeah, I've actually heard quite a few stories of people getting decked in this format. People on Twitter are saying, you know, it's it's often correct to play more than 40 cards in your deck and stuff if you're in a, in a control deck. I haven't actually seen that myself yet in play, but I've seen a lot of talk about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. I, I, I feel like the format is grindy, but I hadn't considered it to be that grindy. Yeah, you know, people always go mad for this stuff, though, and uh, probably overestimate it because they love the idea of playing like this. But I, I think Ben Stark has tweeted about it and, and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like Escape with Mechanic because it feels like it's real. It feels like it is a real uh, price to pay, uh, you know, exile on the cards for a graveyard. And yeah, it's pretty insane that your creature goes back in there when it dies. Uh, but then you kind of feel like you're, you kind of do feel like you're running out of time or you're making your, your, your game shorter by you know, doing the aggressive self mill to strike a few more uh, escape. You know, escape activations. So I think it's it's it felt like a really kind of nice kind of to play with. Like you do actually have to think about you know the price you pay when you mill yourself. But um because there's so much there's so much self mill and so, there can be so much self mill and there's so much chaos. It's not as simple as oh you know self mill is always upside. Yeah, definitely. I think this is like the format I think where the graveyard has felt the most important to me of like any format I've played. Uh, like it feels like managing your opponent's graveyard is is really vital. Like uh, cards that you wouldn't think you know really have that much upside. Like um, the two one flyer for three that exiles a at a card from your opponent's graveyard when you play it, stuff like that. You'd be like, oh, that's below filler. But like, I feel like you get value out of those cards pretty much every time. And then the ones where it's repeatable and you get to attack your your opponent's graveyard over the course of the game are like super valuable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we I was happy to get a little bit of graveyard interaction. Uh, kind of yeah, saved on, stapled onto you know, low, low card creatures. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, having the odd little bit of interaction on cards that you'd already be like kind of happy enough to play is really good. So like, return to nature in a pinch can exile an escape card from the graveyard. Um, I've found that Elspeth's nightmare is fantastic because that exiles your opponent's graveyard after it kills one of their creatures. Um, and also the I don't remember the name of it, but it's the it's the two one flyer in black for for three mana it's like a harpy and when it enters the battlefield you can exile a card from your opponent's graveyard um that's pretty good uh one important thing to remember is that you don't always just have to exile the escape card you know exiling any card from their graveyard is going to set them back at least a little bit in terms of casting the escape and in my experience uh i had i had voracious typhon but i had i definitely had another escape card as well i think i only had two or three uh but my experience with the kind of mid cost escape cards like as in like exile three to five cards was that you could reasonably expect to do them two times in a game and three times was a stretch yeah that's very devoted yeah yeah that sounds about right to me as well i'd say um other than that i haven't played any limited so i all i did was open a seal pool on arena and then immediately close arena because i don't know just arena makes me feel tired looking at it so uh have you guys had any further experience Terrible. Uh, I oh I I also had a, I had a bad experience. Well, not my experience. I I um went to a sealed pool on Thursday night, being like, yeah, here we go, but gonna, gonna you know get some sweet sweet sealed experience in or Friday night rather. And uh, after you know absolutely crushing my opponents uh, three rounds, it was my bastards were not close. My opponents were all absolutely terrible. Uh, I was offered to add another pack to my pool, but I realized I signed up for the friendly friendly sealed league a moto. 
That's the worst. You have to play so many games. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, and even the prize payout wasn't even that good. And it's like, I was thinking, like, God, it's not even my deck is now no longer like representative of what a sealed deck looks like because it's just with an extra pack. The next, I told an extra pack is huge. Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's very silly. Generally, you just don't want to add the extra pack. It's just not worth the value, and you just crush people with the same sealed deck. Yeah, exactly. My, 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 my deck was quite strong anyway, and yeah, so so many bonuses leave themselves dead on board. Glorious. But then, and then again, probably not, not the best for not the best for practice, not the best for game experience in the format. Uh, yeah, I've played some drafts on, I played one best of three draft on Arena, um, which I went, was, went terribly. I just didn't really open anything very interesting, and um, yeah, just, it just didn't go great. And I've played a couple of drafts on Modo, both of which I went 2-1 in. Um, and also the Modo drafts are like pretty tough at the moment because it's when the pros are like testing before the Pro Tour and stuff like that. Um, so you're usually facing pretty good competition. So I felt pretty happy about those. I've been black pretty much every time I've drafted. I just feel like the color is like super deep. The commons are great. The uncommons are all premium, basically. Um, and I'm pretty much happy in like most color pairs. I uh, I haven't really wanted to go black red and try the sacrifice deck. I I'm not sure how good that is, but basically every other color pair with black I feel like is good. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I've been with the format. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I had um, I don't, I, I my, my single pool had a pretty good black red sacrifice scene, but I had a bunch of rares so that fit into it. So uh, that probably isn't a good representation of uh, what that deck's gonna look like. Uh, I think I feel that's probably true for a lot of limited formats that the, the black red. Sacrifice team is something I have to fight hard to put together because it is such a you know an AB uh, strategy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty happy with the the deck I have at the moment. I think on Moto, I've played one game with it and lost because I punted horribly. But it's like a red green deck, and I have Gallia and a bunch of Satyrs. Uh, I didn't realize there actually are quite a few Satyrs in the set, so like I want to attack people hasty trees. Oh, glass. And yeah, basically what I would say about the format, if you haven't drafted it yet, is like all the signpost uncommons, the legendary uh, creatures, enchantment creatures, are all really good, I think, or, mo or for the most part. I think the black-red one is probably the worst, um, but like the blue-green one is pretty busted, um, like especially that one I think I think is busted, but like most, most of them are very, very good. Yeah, I guess... I, I... Sorry, sorry. I guess like random thoughts on the format. I'm just thinking about it now. It doesn't really feel like you you go into a very heavy archetype. It feels like most of the color pair decks are kind of doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like um, like you're gonna end up with some escape cards and some enchantments and stuff like that, no matter what color pair you are. And you don't really have to like think about synergies super deeply. You just have to like put together a good magic deck. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's gonna be true. Yeah. Shall we move on to talking about some? Pioneer, the greatest constructed format known to man. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I believe you, are you going to tell us about the greatest deck, greatest deck known to man? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I am. So after playing a, a whole bunch of different decks, I don't know if anyone listening has tuned into the stream, but I've been playing lots of different things in Pioneer. I was super high on Soul Flare for a while. I was trying kind of other non-Soul Flare black green decks. I played a little bit of Control. I was, I was playing all sorts of things. Uh, played played a bunch of Mono Red. Um I finally tried after Theros came out. Well, the first thing I bought Heliods and I tried the Heliod Ballista Mono White decks a bunch. Didn't think they were very good, although I'm going to have to go back to that and try again because people seem to be having a little more success uh, than the first couple days with them. But then after that, tried the new iteration of the Lotus Field combo deck, which is basically the same as before. You, you get a Lotus Field into play, you uh, untap it a bunch of times with Hidden Strings and Vizier of Tumbling Sands, make a bunch of mana, draw a bunch of cards, and eventually win the game with... The old way was with Jace Wielder of Mysteries, and you usually had a Fae of Wishes pack in the deck, package in the deck. 
you could, you could go get other win cons. Now with the release of Theros, it's become much more of a linear all-in combo deck where you have four Underworld Breach in your deck, which is the one in a red enchantment, uh, which you play it, it, you sack it at the end of turn, and while it's in play, all the cards in your graveyard have um, escape uh, three. So, so you pay equal to their mana cost, uh, to flash them back and exile three cards from your graveyard. This card is absolutely busted in in multiple for, multiple formats. Apparently, Legacy it's it's completely blowing the format up as well because it's crazy with Lion's Eye Diamond and stuff there. But the idea in this deck is you put a Chronic Flooding on your Lotus Field, which it makes makes it so whenever you tap the land for mana, you mill three cards, and that is the same amount of cards that you need to mill or you need to exile from your graveyard with Underworld Breach. So it basically just gives you like infinite flashback capability so also when you like play the hidden strings from your graveyard to untap your lotus fields underworld breach doesn't exile it from your graveyard it stays in your graveyard so you can just do it over and over again so once you have the chronic flooding on your land you can basically just mill your whole deck and make you know a huge amount of mana and then there's also a new card in theros called Thassa's oracle which is it's a 1-3 for blue-blue. Uh, when it ETBs, you look at the top X cards, where X is your devotion to blue, and you get to put one on top of your library and the rest on the bottom, I think. But that doesn't really matter, because then it says, if you have fewer cards in your library than X, you you win the game. So you basically just mill your whole library, play the Thassa's Oracle from the graveyard or from your hand, and then you win the game for having an empty library. And it's ridiculously fast. It's ridiculously hard to interact with. Even if they thought sees you a bunch of times or whatever, if they can't kill you fast, you just get to replay everything from the graveyard with the Underworld Breach. If they counter your Thassa's Oracle, you just replay it from the graveyard with your Underworld Breach. It's it's a really silly deck. Yeah, that sounds absolutely nuts. Because I, th- I think so. Once you have once you have your enchantment on on your land, uh, there's really not much else stopping you from going off. Like it seems, seems like it is very easy to go off. Like you don't really like once you're going off, you you just you just don't lose. Is that the yeah. case? Yeah, so if you have a, a Lotus Field in play, a Chronic floating on it, and the Hidden Strings uh, either in your hand in your graveyard, and then you play the Underworld Breach, then it's deterministic. You win. Yeah, God. Yes. And then all the, so yeah, all the other cards in your deck are just draw spells and st- or like on top effects. So it's super, super linear. So obviously there's like this, you know, there can like graveyard hate can be a little bit tough. I haven't really found that to be the case because you're, you know, your sideboard is just a bunch of uh, disenchants and stuff like that removal for their hate. So, and like sometimes, like the, the thing is the Lotus field is just so hard to interact with because it's hex proof. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a really hard deck to, to deal with like if you don't have the right cards in your sideboard you're just going to get walked all over by this deck even if you know like even if you draw your hate like if you can't kill them fast they're just going to wait and then like blow up your ley line at the end of turn or whatever and then go off on their turn so like i've won through all the graveyard hate i've won through like tormod scripts being on the battlefield um like and then i feel like at the moment people haven't really developed a good sideboard plan against the hate but if people can come up with a good sideboard plan, you know, that dodges the hate, then the deck is just going to get even scarier. Um, I don't think people have brewed it to that level yet, but I don't, I don't know. So, I I was lucky enough to watch you uh, playing this yesterday, and uh, it seemed like there was a fairly steep learning curve, but actually, you got it pretty fast, um, and yeah, some of, your, some of your wins were just insane. Like, I was like, there's no possible way that you can win this game. Uh, and then you pulled it out, so... Yeah, the game, the the deck really does kind of win out of nowhere. There's a lot of kind of redundant pieces where you're like, okay, well, if I draw this one bit, then I just win now. 
Um, one thing that I had heard from uh, Dave was the sideboard plan of Ulamog against Graveyard Hate. Ulamog? So you just aim to just make a bunch of mana and just cast an Ulamog? Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I kind of like that, actually. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very straightforward. That seems fine. Right. let's do it. Yeah. Because, yeah, Ulamog gets all the Graveyard Hate no matter what, no matter what uh, form it's in. Yeah, I was thinking as well, like, there could be a way you could play Fey of Wishes as, a, as like, a two-of in the deck or something like that, and then have, you know, Planeswalkers or something to go get in the sideboard, like, a, like, a, like I was thinking the six-mana Chandra, you know, the, that puts the emblem on them. It's very slow, though, that one. Yeah, I mean, you have to keep letting them have turns then. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. Yeah, Ulamog could just do it. It's kind yeah, of it's awkward because you can't reliably, like, have the Ulamog. Um, I think you just have to sideboard it in without any way to like fetch it or whatever so I don't know but it's a thought yeah I mean like I feel like I don't get to use most of my sideboard slots effectively anyway so I wouldn't even really care about playing multiples like I could just play like three Ulamogs or something or four because honestly I feel like the sideboard is pretty bad at the moment you just play a bunch of disenchants at the moment the list that I'm using which won the challenge or top eight of the challenge is, is playing ratchet bombs which is like a pretty bad card I think they're playing a blast zone in the side where I'm like, if that's good enough to be in the side, maybe it should just be in the main deck. I think the sideboard is like the least developed um, part of the deck, basically. And the, the the main deck is like insane in game one. But yeah, I would like to have a better sideboard plan if I'm going to play this deck for the Grand Prix, which I'm very heavily leaning towards at the moment. Also, if you don't know how to play against the deck, like I said, even if you have counter spells or, or Tormod script or something, if you pop it at the wrong time, you're still just going to lose, which I feel like is going to get you a lot of points on like day one of a Grand Prix. People just misplaying, even if they draw their hate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, um, I, I pre-ordered Underworld Breaches today. Very nice. So uh, I'm all set up, except for the fact that I don't have Lotus Fields or Mana Confluences or Hidden Strings or Chronic Flooding. Yeah, like the thing is, right? There's a, like we were talking about this on the stream. I punted by not doing this a couple times. If you like, if you think your opponent has a disenchant, for example, in hand, or like an assassin's trophy or an abrupt decay or something, and you just cast your underworld breach, if there's another one in the graveyard after it resolves, you have priority, and you can just cast another underworld breach from your graveyard with escape, and then suddenly their abrupt decay that they're holding up doesn't do anything because you have two permanents in play, uh, which you pointed out that I that I missed a couple of times on the stream when I was when I was learning it. So like that's kind of insane as well. Like there's just so many angles that that the deck has. A lot of the time, your first underworld breach you can just cast for value if the game is grindy, you know, and going long. You don't have to win with it the turn you play it. It can just draw you a bunch of cards. Yeah, oh my god. Like especially yeah. in one like once those cards are in your graveyard, they're they're there as permanent resources basically. Um, and yeah, like against some decks that might decks that have like let's say abrupt decay. Um, in the main deck or or even after sideboard if that's their plan to abrupt decay your underworld breach a lot of times that's just not going to work yep and like arboreal grazer is just like a sick magic card as well like i've totally come around on this card it's 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 just a busted card man like so you play four of those in the main deck some people are playing wolf willow haven instead but i think grazer is just the way to go like you just play one of those on turn one in the on the dark you know and, and ramp a little bit and then it turns out your opponent's on mono red or or white weenie or something like that and it's like oh well good luck like you were never going to beat me anyway but now you're really never going to beat that's pretty guilty yeah our boil grazer biggest mistake card of 2019 so good so these green cards are just so broken number one suspect our boil grazer <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well, how do we beat this deck if uh permanent based sideboard hate uh, can can be interactive with 
I mean, it's like like Damping Sphere is still good, and like you know, Alpine Moon and and like Ley Lines and Rest in Pieces and all this stuff. They are they are still good. Like as long as you have that plus a clock, like yeah, you can you can definitely win. But it's it's I don't know. You're gonna lose game one like most of the time if you're playing like like Al. You were saying you like the kind of black red mid range decks or whatever. You know, like Scrounger and like you're net you're never beating Lotus Field game one with those decks basically. You yeah, can win, you can win the match, but you're always a game down. I think. Yeah, no, I think even like Terwatasis isn't going to do it if you have so much crack selection and so much redundancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the uh, the green ramp decks, I think, just have absolutely no chance of ever beating it. Uh, yeah, I felt like even after sideboard, I was like, "What can you even possibly have against me?" Yeah. Leyline <laughs> of the void. That's all. That's all they can do. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check to see how many of these cons and uncommons I own, <laughs> and see if I can pull it together. Yeah, that's the thing. I want to play this deck for the Grand Prix. I think I own literal zero of the cards. I think I own one foil Lotus Field, which I wouldn't even want to play because it's foil. Yeah, God. You just trade that one for two normals. Grand. That makes six mana. It's like I'm untapping it with hidden strings. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I would say, Al, considering when you started playing, uh, I would say you have zero Chronic Flooding and zero hidden strings because they're from Return to Ravnica and Dragon's Maze. That is, that is true. I have drafted a turn draft kit, but I don't think I drafted these cards. Yeah. Not not the type of card that you'd be like, oh yeah, I'll take this and draft. Oh, Chronic Flood. I, yeah, I, I, I've i I've been lots of these at the bottom of uh, RTR packs. Card is busted, maybe, dude. Maybe, maybe I do have some. <laughs> yep. Also, it's like the sick thing about um the, the Chronic Flooding is it adds to your devotion to blue. So it's like, even if even if, like, for some reason you have to try and go off and you don't have zero cards in your library and they kill your Thassa's Oracle in response to the trigger, it still gives you a little bit of devotion to work with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, the deck is super sweet. I'm going to keep playing it. I think I'm basically locked in. I'm going to go back to the the Heliod combos and try those as well. But um, unless they're absolutely absurdly busted, I think people are going to prepare more for those than they are the Lotus Field deck. And if that's the case, they're just going to lose to the Lotus Field deck. Yeah, my my thought for that deck uh, was to play more Tomics because that's pretty good against Lotus Field because they can't target their lands. Yeah, so that stops Chronic Flooding, but that's it. Uh, it stops Hidden Strings as well. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. It does. Yeah, and actually, yeah, it stops all the untap stuff. Yeah, that could be a thing. Yeah. That could be a the thing. Tespian Stage. Yeah, Tespian Stage. Well. Yeah, so so that could be a thing. I think if that is the case and people do the, do that, uh, what I was suggesting earlier was playing unsubstantiate either in the main deck or in the sideboard, because uh, it's kind of it acts as a counter spell and you can ban- bounce like a tomic where you couldn't disenchant it. Obviously, and there's no other way to kill it in those colors. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, I don't know, people probably just need to bounce for a turn. I mean, you, you just need one turn without it on the board you need to to go off if you, if you set it up that way. Yeah, yep. because you can still you can still play your lotus fields out kind of as normal. Um, you just can't target them to untap them. So deck seems pretty busted. Um, yeah, I'm strongly considering it as well. I have not done any serious testing because I don't know. I'm too busy. Too busy with life. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would. Mean. I would say definitely get the reps in because I'm. I still feel very confused playing the deck even after. I went zero five in the first league uh, last night when I streamed uh, as Wolf saw, and then I went four one in the second league. But I still felt like I was messing up a lot. So I'm I'm gonna try and get a lot more reps in, and you you can't just sit down with this deck and decide to play it at a tournament. You're gonna have to goldfish and and play some matches. Yeah, especially in in like paper where you're you're gonna be performing a lot of physical actions in terms of exiling cards from your graveyard. Um, just knowing which ones to like have an eye out for 
from the get-go in order to have like your automatic responses of like okay i'm gonna exile all my creatures because i won't they're they do nothing for me cast from the graveyard anyway i'm gonna exile all my lands whatever um yeah so i think even just the physical reps might be useful um so i might even proxy up the deck and paper and try it out yep good idea all right i think that'll I think that'll do it for pioneer i think so and uh that'll probably do it for the podcast as well yep sounds good i got pizza arriving so just in time nice so lovely. all right um okay so just before we finish up i'll mention again inkedgaming.com forward slash skullcrack for 10 percent off your order you can get yourself a wonderful custom play mat printed up with whatever you want over there get the nice stitched edging you can also get lots of other gaming accessories on the website you can have a quick browse through and uh they've got a lot of cool stuff over there and uh of course the the, the best place for your custom play mats and you'll get 10 percent off inkedgaming.com forward slash skullcrack or you can just click through from the link in the show notes um one more thing before the end here is that I picked up a couple of uh, codes for Arena for the uh, six extra packs from pre-release. So if you don't have one already, because it's it's one per account, if you don't have one already, you can uh, enter a little competition that we're going to run just to, to win one of these. And uh, basically, we'll just pick two people who retweet the uh, the pinned tweet from the Skullcrack Twitter account. So uh, twitter.com forward slash Skullcrack, uh, S-K-U-L-L-C-R-A-I-C, just like the name of the show. Um, If you go over there and you go to the pinned tweet of our most recent episode, which is this episode, and you retweet it, uh, I'll pick randomly one of those people. I will pick the winners on Tuesday, the 28th of January. So one of the people who has retweeted uh, uh let's say it i'll say a time as well i'll say tuesday the 28th of january at uh 10 p.m european central europe no not central european time uh, gmt greenwich mean time um so one of those people i will pick or two of those people and uh they'll win some codes for uh six packs on arena six packs of Theros beyond death so good luck with that competition uh and if you just want to tweet us normally that's you're you're right there already just go for it just tweet at us um, or if you want to email us, you can email us at skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. You can also turn, tune into the uh, to the Twitch stream, as we were mentioning there. Kieran streamed a lot of Pioneer recently. Um, maybe a little bit of oh, yeah. uh, maybe a little bit of um, arena like limited stuff or MTGO limited. Yeah, I've done a bit of MTGO limited recently, and I think when the ranked drafts come, I'll probably draft a bunch of arena because I want to get those cards in my collection. I might play some standard too. Standard actually looks pretty fun at the moment with all these new splashy Theros cards. So yeah, I'll be playing everything. Yeah, sweet. So you can uh, tune in there over at twitch.tv forward slash skullcrack. And that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. If our previous segment was sponsored by Ink Gaming, uh, this segment is sponsored by my good friends at Or Magic to Circle Jerking. So, Dave Wolf, I know you're a big fan of this Reddit. Yes.
So we have what we have here is a Theros Beyond Death Spoiler season. Bingo, 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 bingo. Uh, I know Dave Wolf is a big bingo fan. Love so it. We're gonna run through. You love it, don't you? Legs eleven. <laughs> All the ducks. Number twenty-two. Uh, the sex number sixty-nine. So, so we're gonna go through. Um, we have so we have a box of uh, twenty-five squares, twenty-five tiles, each with a different thing that people say or people do during spoiler season. So at the end of spoiler season now for Theros Beyond Death, uh, we've you know, we we kind of had a lot of discussion on the podcast. A lot of discussion off mic, a lot of discussion you know, on different forums. Better you're probably reading a lot about discussion, reading a lot of comments. So uh, I just wanted I just want you, Dave Wolf, to try and give me an example of a card from this set uh, that adheres to one of uh, to, I suppose that kind of coincides with each of the different topics I'll read out. I'll read out. Okay. All right. It'll make sense straight away, I guess. Sorry. So first of all, overestimate a card that sees zero play. Sees zero play. Hmm. So am I coming up with an example, or do you have uh, an answer already? No, I suppose yeah, if, if, if you can take an example, and if you can, let's move on. Uh, maybe there's some example, maybe too soon. Overestimated card that sees zero play. Uh, Ox of Agonis. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I, I've, I've seen the stat on, um, on like listings for card prices, but I haven't seen it in in any, any format. Maybe modern, maybe maybe uh, uh, Pyromancer, but certainly, certainly not yet. That's a that's good one. All right, how about a overstated mythic? Um, Oro. Yeah, Oro's pretty big. Three mana six six. Yeah, very big. Uh, all right, tar- destroy target creature or planeswalker. Do you have that? Mm, there's E to extinction, which is exile. Okay, that's yes, yeah, close enough. Yeah, strictly better. Well, regardless, mana cost. All right, uh, three CMC planeswalker. That is something we do not have. No, we don't have that. Thank, thank Christ. Also, uh, today I was cracking a lot of packs of Theros, uh, helping out the local shop, and I took a lot of the tokens home because I don't care about those, and I just like to have my tokens available. Uh, and I noticed that there were no emblems among them. So we had three planeswalkers in this set, but not, none of them created an emblem, which is unusual. Ooh, that's interesting. Even like even the two uh, planeswalker decks, planeswalkers didn't do that here. Oh yeah, and the five, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess it would be the packs, but anyway, what um, well, that is that is crazy. That's kind of that's good, I guess. And, and emblems, it's so stupid when you see an emblem on the battlefield, can't interact with it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of emblems, uh, Gideon reference. Was there any Gideon references in this set? I think yeah. there wasn't, right? There was. Was there? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, Taranika, a Crowan veteran, references Gideon in her flavor text. Boom. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, we have, all right, my pre-release promo. I think that's just when someone says, oh, I bet this is going to be my pre-release promo. Uh, it's a phrase I did not say during this spoiler season. I don't think you did either. Wait, I'm confused. Like, someone says it in, like, a sarcastic way. Like, my look is so terrible that this terrible card will be my pre-release promo. Yep. People say that all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> to say. Uh, random rare chase land. Random rare chase land. Um, I mean, there's just uh, there's only the temples, right? And they're not particularly chase. Yeah, so as far as like a, a non-cycle, you know, like a it's also like a labyrinth of scuffles is the one here, but it's not. Oh yeah, uh, sure. No one's really sure. Do you do you think chase in labyrinth is a fucking minotaur? Am I right? Oh god. <laughs> Next one. Uh, constructed playable card unavailable in boosters. Um. I feel like they've doubled down on this more in this set than others, so I feel like there should be one. But um, I mean, Atreus is probably constructed playable if you consider Commander as constructed. <laughs> then. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You can say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's be right. Uh, misread a terrible card and think it's good. Have you misread a terrible card? You thought it was good? No. Uh, Paul did with Nessie and Boar. <laughs> I was going to say that as well. Shout out to Paul, friend of the show. Thought uh, Nessie and Boar makes you draw cards when you're when it gets blocked. 
<laughs> Just the, the that'll be good. The fantastic all caps comment. Oh, they draw cards. <laughs> After being like, after discussing, like, wait, this card isn't that bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a, ro- a white aggro player judging white control cards as bad. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that really happened. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, shatter the sky or something. They're like, yeah. Terrible. I'll get to draw a card. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm sure shatter the sky is going to be very good. A bad mythic cycle. Do you have a mythic cycle? Um, We have the gods. Um... Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. How did I miss that? Yeah. The, the mythic cycle, yeah. And I guess um, the, uh, the two titans are like, they're not a cycle, but like they're part of a cycle. I am going to guess that the remaining titan, I think there's one more or two more, I'm not sure, uh, will be in like the next time we go to Theros, we'll be there. Um, So that kind of counts as a cycle, maybe. Uh, There's not yeah. a bad mythic cycle, I don't think, here though. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a bad, maybe that's a bad mythic cycle because it's incomplete. Maybe, yeah. You could also count the gods because I think only like two of them are good. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Uh, next up is enemy scrylands. It's free space. We're in the middle. No enemy scrylands in this set. Oh. Yeah, so I think this is, I think this is people calling them enemy scrylands by mistake. Yeah, because we had enemy scrylands the last time. Yeah, we had... in, in the four set. Yeah, in course. Uh, M- yeah. Uh, here's a phrase people say. This is such a, such an unconstructive uh, comment people say in threads. I can't wait to lose it. It's unlimited. <laughs> well done. Top maybe something being standard competitive playable or bottom lay playable. But it's busted and limited. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big creature. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, green color pie break. Well, hold on. What, what's the card? Uh, you're not even giving me a chance to name the card. Sorry, sorry. All right. <laughs> I, I, just, I got caught up with my character there. Okay. Um, I, is there yeah, actually, I, I, have, you said, have you caught yourself saying this uh, during the spoiler season? I'm pretty sure I have. Can't wait to lose to this and limited. I don't think I said exactly yeah. that phrase, but I've said like I will lose to this. Yeah, yeah. So like Dream Trotter or uh, I thought Bronze Bronze Side Line would be very very good limited. I mean, I I had it like my, my seal pool uh, was fine, but I found myself just wanting to tap out every turn rather than uh, keep that up. Activation up. Yeah, it's a good card. It's a two mana three three with a relevant ability that scales into the late game, so it's good. But yeah, I, yeah. I tend to say more like, oh, this card is unbeatable and limited rather than I can't wait to lose to this personally. Um, yeah, and I think I said that about uh, Cure Best of Sea God, Dream Trawler, and Elspeth Conquers Death. So, oh yeah, oh, there, there's a match I was so far ahead, and then uh, one played Elspeth and had a massive graveyard. And like, God, I can't even, I can't even. There was so much mana left over in the late game, I can't even attack it because it's going to do nothing. Like, yep. All right, how about a, a broken UGX card? Well, Blue green. Yeah, I mean that's a that's an easy one. We got Uro. Yeah, Uro, uh, unplayable white card. In color cycle, if you've got a cycle, I've got an unplayable white card as part of that cycle. Um, white white made out pretty well from the set, I think. So no, I think uh, I think I can't think of a cycle. Yeah. White got an unplayable card. Like Omen of the Sun is fine. Daxos is fine. Heliod's intervention is quite good. Uh, so I don't think we have one for this set. Yeah. Heliod is also quite good. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, banned in three weeks. Speaking of Heliod. Well, definitely more so at uh, Reach. Yeah. So after Under- after what we learned about that deck today, I'm, I'm pretty terrified of Reach. Yeah, I think Underworld Breach is, is definitely a candidate for being banned. I don't think Heliod would be banned. I think if they banned something from that combo, it would be Ballista, just because Heliod yeah. is a recent mythic, and Ballista probably has more possibility to break in the future. Um, yeah. But yeah, Underworld Breach is my vote. See, I feel like when, when they put the text at the, end, at the beginning of the, ne- of the, at the, beginning of the end step, Sacrifice Underworld Breach. 
I feel like they knew that it was going to be broken, even when putting that text on. It's like when, like, you have Lion's Eye Diamond, but like, oh, but you have the downside of discarding your hand. I mean, if you can get around that, it's just a pack out of Yeah. This is, this is so dumb. Yeah, I mean, Underworld Breach is a cheaper Yogbots will. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, a green CMC one mana generator. I don't think we have this, do we? No. A green CMC one mana generator. Sorry, a green one CMC mana generator. Uh, mana. I don't think so. Right. That's good. I mean, they're, they're, they're always very good. But I guess uh, you can, I guess the uh, Jamanand is free, zero mana. Yeah, we'll we'll flip it. Yes. It's not free. It, it gets you one mana back the turn that you play it. Oh, one mana back, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's, it's one mana. Yeah, it's technically one mana, I guess. Um, we have a cancel, but better. We don't have. I don't think we have a cancel, but better. No. There's no cancel. There's overwhelming denial. That could be better than cancel. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. And then, um, the last one, genuinely the worst card ever printed. <laughs> Um, bright blight breath, catablepis, because you can't pronounce it. Catablepis, catablepis, catablepis. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Catablepis. Fruit of uh, Tizarus is a card. I, I think I, I did see people on Magic Online. I had three of them. I'm like, does this get better when you have three? <laughs> Probably not. I don't think so. Like one man character. I yeah. Thing to um, I was listening to the Lords of Limited. Uh. I can't remember what they call it, like their their limited crash course, which is great, by the way. If anybody's looking to improve a limited, they do. Um, I think it's much more useful than the uh, than the limited resources, like full set review. It's like a normal length show where they go through like the highlights of the uh, of the limited format. Um, yeah, they were talking about it. They were talking because they had they had given it quite different grades. I think one of them gave it a C or a C minus, and then another one gave it like a D minus. Oh wow! In what world? Oh, like me, that is an F. Like what? I know. God, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just not interested in ever playing that card. But they made the point that like sometimes you just want a lava axe, and I'm like, yeah, but this is like the shittest lava axe ever. <laughs> I guess you can play it in two installments, and also you can do it more than one time from the graveyard. So like maybe. Um, but like as an aggressive deck, I guess it can be a clock. It's interesting, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it made me reconsider it, which is a, a good thing for like that podcast to do. Like, it's interesting that they made me go back and think more about a card that I had dismissed. But oh my god, it just looks so bad. I can't ever imagine putting it in my deck. I would have to have the most aggressive of aggressive decks to put it in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think like maybe something comparable to that is uh, which I've heard one in an aggressive deck is the sorcery that makes the one ones. Uh, similar enough, I guess. It's, it's, you know, it's a cheap spell with a cheap escape cost. The um, the the one mana make a seder. Make a seder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is that better? That's, I think that's a thing on the board. Uh yeah, but they can't block. I actually think fruit of Tizeris might be better than that. Yeah, oh, I think so. I think I was playing match I had. Um, I had the the, the, the red sorcery to make a one one that can't block. But then I think it was like I had like some kind of anthem effect or some kind of yeah, some kind of like oh, what you call it. Uh, Warhorn, is that we call it? No, it's a spell that gives everything plus something plus something. So I was like kind of preparing for a big turn, basically, uh, which uh, I guess is something that uh, this black spell wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily let you, let you do. You know, it's not necessarily going to let you because, because I think because uh, Fruit of Tizarus is not instant because it's, it's sorcery. It's like you're really 
you're really um there's not really much you, there's not really much creativity you can do with it. You're just gonna chip away at your opponent's life. Whereas even though um I can't, I can't find a spell at all. This this one mana uh red spell that makes a one. Um at least with that, it's you can you can kind of spend some time kind of crafting a turn, you know, you have so you can you can use some in, hidden information with some combat tricks or something to to get like a big turn ready if you have run out of gas uh, as an aggressive deck. Yeah, yeah. Like there's the the uh, the mechanic in red and white that it, the the hero creatures that if you target them they give all your creatures plus one plus zero oh. that's obviously good with those satyr tokens uh, if you're just attacking with them then obviously the camp block clause is um, not a drawback but uh, like when you have a one one on the board a one one token on the board and your opponent has like any size of creature at all you're just like oh my god this can't attack it can't block it can't do anything I think you'd rather have You'd rather have a burn spell in that situation, I suppose. A burn spell that can only go to the face. Um, yeah. A, a big board is definitely good for the for the tokens. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. Uh, that's the takeaway on Terros Beyond Death Limited. Don't play Fruit of Plays Yeah, we won bingo. That's a bingo. <laughs>